screen number 11, I think it is, yeah. All right, and I'm going to continue here with the series that we're into part number 10, uh, talking about the theme of prophet. And uh, we've been looking a lot at the prophets of the Old Testament, as we call it. Um, maybe you can shout out some of the names of the prophets that we have looked into a little bit, those of you who have been in the series. Elijah or Elisha? Elisha. Yeah, we actually talked about when Elisha died. Habakkuk. Yes, the prophet with the strange name. The two prophets with no names. Yes. Jonah. Yes. Oh, you've got good memories. Any, any, did we cover anybody else? No, Elisha. Oh, yes, Hosea. Yes, Hosea. Good. Ah, uh, there was another one. Starts with M. Malachi. Yes, we did do Malachi, didn't we? Hey, we've done quite a, quite a number of them, all right? Uh, so today I want to do a prophet who you may not think of as an Old Testament prophet, but you will see uh, that in, in a sense he really is. And this is John the Baptist that we're going to talk about today. And I want to capture your minds on the theme of Labor Day and John the Baptist. You've probably never heard of John the Baptist in the context of Labor Day, uh, but those of you who are out there in the workforce or have been, uh, how many of you who are working now and you've got the day off tomorrow? One, two, three, four semi-retired guy over there, but he's got the day off anyway, okay? So, uh, but you've been out there if you're retired as well, so I want to try and help you to see how much John the Baptist actually relates to you and your life, in particular on the theme of Labor Day. But let's test your knowledge a little bit, and you can play along online as well. What do you know about John the Baptist? Give me some, some feedback. He baptized people. Hey, we just gave you a clue, right? He was the guy who baptized people. Yes, Pam? He was the precursor to Christ. Okay, fancy term there. Yes. He was Jesus' cousin or something along those lines. The Mary uh, and, and John's mother were relatives. I see frantic hands in the back. Yes. He was killed by Herod Antipas. Yes, we'll look into that. He, he did. He, he, he was, yes, he, was, uh, he did lose his head. We'll look into that. He called her for repentance. Yes, out in the wilderness. He said, repent. Yes, and he baptized people. Yes, but you've all missed something. He used to eat locusts and honey. Yeah, that's true. Weird diet. You ever eaten a locust before? Lots of protein. Good for COVID. You're all, you've all missed it. And most Christians miss it. Tell me something he didn't do. Remember Elisha. We talked about Elisha three weeks ago. And Elisha... In terms of the miraculous, there is only one person in Scripture second to Elisha, and that would be Jesus himself. 
Now, uh, John the Baptist, completely on the other side, what didn't John the Baptist do? Not one single miracle is recorded through the ministry of John the Baptist. Zero is recorded. Now, that's not to say that he didn't do any. It's just that if he did, this is not recorded for us in the New Testament. It's a striking uh, fact about John the Baptist, and it's, it's important uh, in a sense uh, because of the way that Jesus focuses on his life and the way Jesus describes his life. So, you know, you could... We could spend all morning uh, looking into the references in Matthew and Mark and Luke and John about John the Baptist to learn about him. But you really can look at what Jesus said about him in order to kind of encapsulate his, um, his life and his work. And uh, I'm going to read from Matthew chapter 11, verses 1 to 15. And this is also found in Luke chapter 7, verses 18 to 28. The picture on your screen is actually from the uh, streaming video series called The Chosen. Uh, they've got a really interesting depiction of John the Baptist. They call him Crazy John uh, in that series. Definitely worth watching. You can stream it for free. Oh, and by the way, just as an aside, we had a wonderful time on Friday night over at uh, Institut Biblique du Québec where we watched the, the live stream out of... Um, uh, Pennsylvania in the USA of the massive production that they do over there of the life of David. My word. Um, I, I, I rewatched a little bit of it, and that is the biggest Goliath I have ever seen. I mean, and the way that they did that, folks, if you have not seen this production, it's, it's streaming uh, during this weekend, and you can go to site-sound.tv and watch it if, you, if you're looking for something to watch on Labor Day with the family, the kids. It's very kid-friendly. Live music. There's live animals running around the stage. The dry, it is a massive production. Special effects and everything. You just kind of, even watching it on television, you sit there sort of like, wow, impressive. So anyway, uh, uh, that's for free this morning. But uh, here you have John the Baptist, Matthew chapter 11. Verses 1 to 15, after Jesus had finished instructing the 12 disciples, he went on from there to teach and preach in the towns of Galilee. Now, if you look at Matthew 10, you'll see that what he had done is he sent the, the disciples out. Uh, and he sent them out to do ministry, in particular, uh, in, in his name and in his power. And they've come back, and, in, and after this, he goes on to teach and preach in the towns of Galilee. When John, this is John the Baptist, was in, who was in prison, this is a detail that Matthew just drops in there at that moment, as if we should know he's in prison. You don't find out the details until a few chapters later. When he was in prison, he heard about the deeds of the Messiah. And so he sent his disciples... So John has followers, and he sends his disciples to, to Jesus to ask him. He's trying to send a message to Jesus from prison. Are you the one who is to come, or should we expect someone else? Very odd question, because it was John at the beginning of his ministry who declared that Jesus was the Messiah, the Son of God, and here he seems to doubt that. He's asking the question, are you, is he the one who was to come or is there going to be somebody else? 
odd. Verse 4, Jesus replied, you go back and you report to John what you hear and see. The blind receive sight. The lame walk. This took place in the ministry of the disciples in John chapter 10, but also through Jesus' life. Blind receive sight, lame walk, those who have leprosy are cleansed, and the deaf hear, the dead are raised, and the good news is proclaimed to the poor. This is very, very specifically chosen by Jesus. You'll see why in a few moments. Blessed is anyone who does not stumble on account of me. As John's disciples were leaving, Jesus began to speak to the crowd about John. Summation statement about John, if you will. What did you go out into the wilderness to see? A reed swayed by the wind? If not, what did you go out to see? A man dressed in fine clothes? No, those who wear fine clothes are in king's palaces. Then what did you go out to see? A prophet? Yes, I tell you, and more than a prophet. This is the one about whom it is written from Malachi chapter 3, I will send my messenger ahead of you who will prepare your way before you. The you is God. Truly, I tell you, among those born of women, there has not risen anyone greater than John the Baptist. Wow, that's a pretty high accolade. Yet whoever is least in the kingdom of heaven, paradoxical statement here, is greater than he. So there is a kingdom that is being populated, and when you're in that kingdom, you're greater than even John the Baptist. So it's, it's a paradox there. And uh, then he continues with something else, which is hard to interpret. He says, from the days of John the Baptist until now, the kingdom of heaven has been subjected to violence, and violent people have been raiding it. Uh, it's an aside I used to think that this, that this statement meant that, uh, you know, uh, John the Baptist was a tough guy. And if you're going to be a good Christian, you've got to be, you got to take the kingdom by force like John the Baptist did. And he was kind of the real man's man, you know. That's probably the farthest thing that this passage means. He's probably referring to the zealots, which were a group that uh, wanted the kingdom of God to come by violence, wanted to proclaim Jesus as their Messiah by force. And th this kind of uh, mentality was quite present from John the Baptist days and onward. For all the prophets and the law prophesied until John. So he's like the culmination of it in a sense. He's the end of the line. And if you are willing to accept it, he is the Elijah who was to come. End of the book of Malachi, you have an odd prediction that Elijah will somehow return. And here you have Jesus saying, he is the Elijah who was to come. Whoever has ears, let him hear. Uh, quite a, wow, quite a summation statement about the life of John the Baptist. So just some observations for you especially relating to, yes, Labor Day. 
you, it's interesting that when Jesus talks about John, he's focusing and emphasizing who John is more so than his activity. He's not really listing a whole bunch of things that John has done. The people know that already. But what he's trying to tell them is who he is. What did you go out to see? It's this whole litany of questions. You, you went out to see a reed swayed by the wind? Well, obviously, John the Baptist wasn't that. What did you go out to see? Uh, you know, a person all dressed up prim and proper? Well, no, he wasn't that. What did you go out to see? You saw this man calling people to repentance, but he's focused on the identity of the person more than his um, activity. So verses 7 to 10, this, this litany of questions. He's a prophet. He's more than a prophet. This is focused on his identity. He's the one who's preparing the way for God. Malachi chapter 3, verse 1. Among those born of women, there's none greater than him. This is about his identity. This is about who he is. So some observations here. Labor Day lessons from, uh, we'll call him the greatest of prophets, the, the end of the chain of really technically the Old Testament era of prophets, if you will. Uh, first, John the Baptist knew who he was and he knew who he was not. If you look at his ministry, and again, Jesus seems to be concerned about his identity. John chapter 1, verses 19 to 23, early on when John appears on the scene. This is what uh, the apostle John says about John the Baptist. By the way, I'm surprised you didn't get it. Um, in the province of Quebec, there is something about John the Baptist. Did you know that? Yeah, St. Jean Baptiste in the early days was a celebration of the birth of John the Baptist. Now, now it's called something a fête nationale or whatever it's called, you know, whatever reason to celebrate. But it is, you know, got some history in Quebec culture. John chapter 1, verses 19 to 23. This was John's testimony when the Jewish leaders in Jerusalem sent priests and Levites to ask him who he was. Identity again. Because he's out there calling people to repentance, saying the kingdom of God is near. And this is what he says. Uh, uh, he did not fail to confess, but confess freely, I am not the Messiah. I'm not the Messiah. Then they asked him, then who are you? Are you Elijah? Now remember, Jesus, after John is imprisoned, will say that John the Baptist is the Elijah to come. His response, I am am not, says John. Are you the prophet? They ask the question. Now, in Deuteronomy 18, there's a promise that a prophet will come who is like Moses. In the book of Acts, we're told that the prophet who would come who's like Moses is actually Jesus. So here you have John saying no. Well, man, I mean, it, it, he had their attention, you know. He could have he could have been a little arrogant, a little self-centered there. Uh, okay, Messiah, no. Elijah, no. Prophet, maybe, yeah, I'm a prophet, yeah. You know, these days, people are really hungry for that title. 
people, you know, they love to be called prophet and so on. Well, he, no, I'm not Elijah. I'm not the Messiah. I'm not the prophet. No. Well, who are you? Give us an answer to take back to those who sent us. What do you say about yourself? It's an identity question. John replies in the words of Isaiah the prophet. This is from Isaiah 40 and verse 3. I am the voice of one calling in the wilderness. Make straight the way for the Lord. The Lord there is God. So you see, he knows exactly who he is, and he knows exactly who he isn't. And he's very, very secure in that. He is, he is very much um, uh, in his lane, so to speak. And he knows firmly what he, who he is and, again, who he is not. And a really, it's a really good Labor Day lesson. When you are out there, out in your, in your workplace, I mean, folks, most people, everybody in this room, and everybody who's watching online, like, you don't work in the clergy. <laughs> you're out there in a, in, I'll say it jokingly, you're out there in a real job, okay? I'm the only one who works in the clergy, so to speak. You're out there in the workforce. And if I may say you have an advantage over just about every single pastor in that you are out there where people don't know Christ. Uh, pastors have to fight to get out there to be where people don't know Christ because pastors and clergy people spend a lot of time with people who come to church. And so you actually have an advantage uh, more than a clergyman or an evangelist or a pastor in that you're out there in the marketplace. Well, you've got to know who you are when you're out there and who you are not. You can't try to be somebody who you're not. You can't try to copy somebody who you're not. You've got to know who you are, and you've got to go out there and uh, remember that your identity is crucial because you're going to face moments where you, trouble's going to come, you're going to get squeezed, you're going to get pressured, you're going to have all kinds of things that will come, and you have to remember, okay, this is who I am, and this is who I am not. And I love the fact that there's three negatives here and only one positive. He's extremely convicted and secure in his own identity, and he could have led these people on a on a little ride, you know, maybe beef up his ego a little bit, but that's not what he's about. He's got a very clear lock on who he is, and you've got to know that when you are outside, out there in the marketplace, even in the schools, I see young people in here, you've got to know who you are when you're out there, because that's what's going to be challenged um, as you interact in a culture that, you know, this is not church culture where you work. And good for you uh, that you don't. Um, second observation here, uh, the work that John did actually flows from his identity. So Matthew 11, 7 to 9, you know, uh, uh, Jesus talking about him again. What did you go out in the wilderness to see? Well, he's out there in the wilderness and he's calling people to repentance. 
That's what he does. And he lines them up and he baptizes them and he says, produce fruit in keeping with repentance. And it's a hard message that he's out there proclaiming. It's a very direct, very confrontational message. He doesn't appear to be intimidated by anyone, religious or irreligious. He's calling people to repentance and warning them of judgment to come. That's his, his work. It flows out of who he is. Uh, he's not certainly a reed swayed by the wind. What does he do to Herod Antipas that gets him thrown in prison? He confronts Herod about what? About his personal life, about his morals, about his ethics. There's a rather sordid story of how Antipas took his half-brother Philip's wife as his own. Uh, Dig into the history books and you'll see it. It's kind of of a sordid, immoral story. And here you have John the Baptist who challenges him on this and who says, it's wrong for you to have this woman. Her name was... Herodias, yes, and she's actually responsible in some measure for the death of John the Baptist, which we'll see in a moment. Uh, But what's he doing? He's doing his job. His job is to call people to repentance. And it didn't matter if he's in front of a king or if he's out in the wilderness. That's who he is turns into what he does. It's not the reverse. Now, you may say, well, I'm, I'm not calling people to repentance in my job, you know. But the same principle applies, you see. Who you are turns into what you do. It doesn't matter where you work. I mean, uh, if John the Baptist were alive today in the 21st century and he was working in a restaurant, what would he do? He'd call people to repentance in the restaurant. Maybe he wouldn't keep his job for very long looking at his personality, but that's what he would do. And it doesn't matter where you're working. It doesn't matter necessarily the type of work that you're doing. Who are you out there? What are you showing? What is your ministry out there in the marketplace? A lot of times what we do, folks, is we demean um, the idea that people can actually do ministry and do something spiritual in the marketplace. We demean that, and we say, well, it's the pastors and the clergy and the evangelists and the missionaries and so on. They're the ones doing the work of the ministry, but the people out in the marketplace, well, they're just making ends meet. I think the Bible would completely disagree with that. It's not whether you're clergy or not clergy. It's who are you and what are you doing with your life, wherever you are. So I've worked in, uh, in the so-called secular world, even over the last six years that, that since we planted this church, on and off, I've worked part-time in a so-called secular job. I mean, even before I was a pastor, I was in the secular job on Friday, and then on Monday, I was in the church office. There's no difference to me, because for me, it's, well, it should, should it be different? Should I all of, all of a sudden behave differently now that I work in a different job? Well, no. Who you are turns into what you do and flows out of who you are. So wherever you are, what are you doing there? What's the mark of God on your life there? And what are you showing to those around you of God in your life? For John, didn't matter 
politician, he's going to confront them. Person out there in the wilderness, he's going to confront them. His thing is, I call people to repentance. And that's what he does. So remember, it's not where you work. It's, in a sense, who, with a capital W, are you working for? And the last uh, uh, point here, observation, even John, the Baptist, the man who said, that person there is the Messiah, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. He baptizes Jesus, sees the, the Holy Spirit descend on Jesus as a dove, and he says, that's the one, that's the man, that's the Messiah. And here he is, thrown in prison by Herod because he's gotten Herod's personal life and challenged Herod Antipas. Herod puts him into prison. We see that described for us in John 14. And um, uh, he, he starts to question, apparently. He sends people to Jesus. Is he the one or should we expect someone else? Why the change? Why does he lose, seemingly lose, his conviction about who Jesus is? Any ideas? He's human. Where is he? He's in jail. He's in prison. So he's isolated. That's what happens when you're in jail. He's alone. And he starts to ask this question. Now, on the one hand, we could say, well, you know, he's doubting. But on the other, maybe not so much because he knows his Bible, John the Baptist. And what may be going on here is he is questioning his own perception of who Jesus is. And he's maybe saying to himself, maybe I got it wrong. Maybe I didn't see. Maybe I didn't notice. Maybe I'm missing something. And in a way, he's questioning himself. Watch why. Um, you see that he... He, uh, Jesus gives him back this report. And you have to look at it very, very carefully and, and note that you're talking about two people who knew the Old Testament, John the Baptist and certainly Jesus. But watch how Jesus uses the Old Testament here to this question that John poses through his disciples. You go and you tell John what? The blind receive sight. The lame walk, the leper is cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised, the good news is preached to the poor. Blessed is the, anyone who does not stumble on account of me. Perhaps implicitly, John, don't stumble on account of me. This is what is going on through my ministry. Now, if you are John the Baptist, and, you, and assuming he knows his Bible, and I think he very much does, there are two passages out of the major prophet Isaiah that are being referenced here very, very carefully by Jesus. The first one is from Isaiah 35. Uh, I've got it on your screen there, verses 4 to 6. And verse 3, I'll start there. Strengthen the feeble hands, steady the knees that give way. The context of the passage is this is what it's going to look like when the Messiah comes. And to those with fearful hearts, be strong, do not fear. Your God will come. He will come with vengeance, with divine retribution. He will come to save you. 
Verse 5, this is where Jesus picks it up. Then will the eyes of the blind be opened and the ears of the deaf unstopped. Then the lame leap like a deer and the mute tongue shout for joy. Water will gush forth in the wilderness and streams in the desert. Three of those are in Jesus' list that he wants transmitted to John. The blind eyes open, the deaf ears unstopped, and the lame leaping like a deer. This would have tipped John off to say, see, this is the, this is the work of the Messiah. This is what I am doing. The other passage from Isaiah chapter 61 and verses 1 and 2. This is a passage that Jesus read from. In Luke chapter 4, he goes into the synagogue. He opens up the scroll of Isaiah. He reads these two passages, these two verses there in Luke chapter 4. But look what he does to it in Matthew 11. The spirit of the sovereign Lord is on me, it says in Isaiah, because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. It's exactly what Jesus says to John's disciples while he's in prison. But he stops there. He doesn't continue. But if you continue to read it, he has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted to proclaim freedom for the captives and release from darkness for the prisoners. Where's John? In prison. Jesus selectively does not mention the rest. He stops with the good news to the poor, and he stops there. In Luke 4, when he's reading in the synagogue, he goes further. He says, and to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And he stops there. But the passage itself continues, and the day of vengeance of our God to comfort all who mourn. It's as if to say that some of these things, John, that you are expecting that I would do, I have done, but not all of them. You're not getting out of prison, not yet. The prisoner is not yet getting out. Now you see glimpses of this in the book of Acts. We see people released miraculously from prison when they're under persecution. But this idea of the prisoners being set free in a universal sense did not take place at that time in the ministry of Jesus. And he's very intentionally, it seems, not quoting that part of the passage to John. Why? He's in prison. Just as in Luke 4, he does not talk about the day of vengeance of our God, as if to say it's not coming yet. What I'm here for is not vengeance. Now, in the future, he will come in vengeance, you see. So Jesus, using the scripture very, very intentionally, very selectively here in a response to John's inquiry to his question. But the fact that John questioned is remarkable. I mean, it's so honest. It's so human. And the fact that John the Baptist, cited by Jesus as the greatest of all, gets persecuted doing his job. While he's doing his job, he gets persecuted. He gets thrown into prison. Uh, Herodias' daughter, Salome, uh, at a party, does a dance that really impresses Antipas. And Antipas says, I'll give you anything you want. Uh, I think it's up to half the kingdom. 
And so the teenage girl goes back to her, her mother, Herodias, and says, hey, what should we get? And she turns to her daughter and says, I want the Baptist dead. And that leads to John the Baptist's execution. The greatest prophet of all time questions, questions, did he get it right? Is this the Messiah? Is there somebody else? He seems to be foggy. He questions, he's persecuted, he's in prison, he's even executed. Folks, that's John the Baptist. When you are out there, out in the, in the marketplace, or maybe out there in the school, you ever question, did I get it right? Did I hear from God correctly? Why is God not doing such and such? Why is he not releasing me from the prison? Maybe it's not a literal prison in your case, but why is there no deliverance of me in this situation? Seems to me like this is something that God should do, but hasn't done in my life. Why? And you start to question. Well, John the Baptist questioned. You ever get persecuted because of what you believe? You ever been out there in the marketplace and you, 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 it becomes known that you're a Christian? And by the way, it should. It should be known. Ultimately, it's going to come out. Uh, what, how was your weekend? Oh, good. What'd you do? Or went to church on Sunday. You went where? Oh, the, the church and brought the kids. You went to church? Church? What kind of church you go to? Right? So, yeah, I mean, it can come out in any number of ways. Uh, you know, people having a conversation, and you, it sounds like you're a little awkward in the con. Why does it bother you when we talk like that? Oh, well, I'm a Christian. You're, excuse me, you're a what? Right? I mean, it's going to come out. If, you, if you're really trying to serve God, it's going to come out, folks. You're, you're out there in a non-Christian culture. Okay, just face it. It's a reality, especially in the province of Quebec. I mean, you've got an all-dressed pizza out there in the culture. So it's definitely not Sunday school or church context, right? So you're going to stick out like a sore thumb, ultimately. You ever been persecuted because of that? Anybody ever made fun of you because you say you're a Christian? Sure. Sure they have. Well, John the Baptist, a whole lot worse. Persecuted, thrown into prison, and even loses his life, you see. So if, it's, if it happened to him in some shape or form, it's likely going to happen to you too, in some shape or form. Now, I'm not saying you're going to lose your head anytime soon, okay? But persecution, you can expect it. You, you can expect to be in situations in your life where you're questioning, did I get it right? Did I get God right? And what does, what does Jesus do when John the Baptist asks these questions? Does he say, you know, John, you tell John he's wrong, he's sinning, he's a doubter. You, you tell him. No, he doesn't chastise John. He doesn't criticize John. On the contrary, blessed is anyone who does not stumble on account of me. You, you don't understand. Don't stumble at the same time. There's going to be times in your life where you don't get it. There's going to be times in your life where you're questioning God. You're questioning the activity that he's doing in your life, in your job. You say, why am I in this job? I just want to leave it. You know, I just want to quit. I mean, I've, count I've talked to a lot of believers over the years. 
And they, they say, you know, everybody in here knows I'm a Christian. They all gang up on me. They all, you know, detest me or whatever. And it's just so hard and it's so difficult. Or, you know, kids in the classroom and they make fun of me and they do all this and this. And, you know, I just feel isolated. I just feel alone. I don't even know what I'm doing here. I don't know why I'm here. I should leave. Or it's this one particular person. It's this one boss. It's this one supervisor. And it doesn't have to do with my Christianity. It just has to do with them. <laughs> and I just want to leave because of that individual, because of that person, because of that situation. You know, it could be, folks, that God just wants you to say, just hold on. Just hold on even though you don't understand. Just take my hand even though you don't understand. Even though you're questioning me, even though you're questioning your perceptions of me and what I'm doing right now, just hold on. Just take my hand and walk with me through the moment. Because sometimes you change jobs and you go, and there's, there's so much of that now with COVID. I mean, wow, it's like someone took the, the tray of cookies and threw it up into the air, and we're all waiting for when it's going to land. Everywhere is hiring. Every, there's a lack of workers everywhere. People are switching jobs all over the place, right? There's so much change that's happening right now in terms of employment, in terms of labor, this Labor Day weekend 2022. It could be that God may want you to stay right where you are. It could be. Sometimes he just wants you to hold his hand and walk through the muck and the, and the fog of the moment until you get to the other side. It could be. It could be. So from John the Baptist and musicians, you can come. Whoever's in the room, you can go ahead and play in the background, and uh, we'll just close the service with you playing here. But from John the Baptist, some, some basic, basic lessons, right? Know your identity and stay in your lane. That's an expression that's used sometimes nowadays. Stay in your lane. You know who you are. You know who you're not. Be yourself. God created you. God's got a mark on your life. Get comfortable in your own skin. Be convicted of who you are. Stay in your lane and live. Number two, it's not where you work. Look at Joseph in the Old Testament. Joseph worked in the household of the Egyptian ruler. God was with him. God blessed him. He rose to the top of the, top of the, of the leadership uh, structure in the household of Pharaoh. He, he's falsely accused, thrown into prison. He's a good prisoner. He rises to the top of the leadership structure in the prison. Doesn't matter what job he has. He's in Potiphar's house or he's in the prison. He rises to the top of the leadership structure because God is with him. And he ends up number two in the whole nation and devises a plan to save the nation from starvation. Why? Because it's not where you work. It's who are you working for? Your boss is not your boss. Your boss is ultimately God. You work for Christ. It's for Him that you do what you do. And trust God even when you don't understand them. Even when you don't know what He's up to, even though you, you, it seems like He's contradicting what He should be doing. In John's mind, I should be out of this prison. The Messiah releases prisoners. Isaiah, why has He not released me from prison? Question. Hold on, John. Blessed is the one who doesn't fall away on account of me.
Father, I pray for each person in the room today, those who are watching online, those who are going to watch or listen to recordings later. Uh, Lord, that you would fill people with your spirit as they go out on, on uh, Tuesday morning, uh, back to work, as they head off to, to schools. You would fill people with your spirit. These are the ministers. These are the people of God who go out in your name and stand and serve you. I pray you would bless each one, no matter the job that they're working, no matter the school that they're in. You would bless each one. You would empower each one that there would be times of conversation where they can minister to people, where they can show the love of God, the kindness of God, the forgiveness of God to others who don't expect it, that you would let people be light and salt. These are the ministers, O oh God carrying out the ministry of reconciliation in your name be with them comfort them and use them may they sense your presence we pray this labor day weekend 2022 in jesus name amen amen the lord bless you today enjoy the rest of your sunday enjoy your day off if you have a day off tomorrow remember to pick up your kids in stream number 11. God bless you today.